It was in the wee hours of the morning, July the 4th, 1776, that the Second Continental Congress received and approved unanimously a report from a five-man committee. Those five men were Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Sherman, and Robert Livingston. These five men, I want you to hear this, these five men were visionaries. The words that, of the opening words of the document, Ben, uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote a lot of it, Ben Franklin, goes like this. That te- there we go, it is on back there. Go ahead. I'm going to put them up there for you. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinion of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we'll leave those just for a second because here's what I want to tell you. These visionary men wrote these words that changed the course of human history. That's, go ahead, Evan, that's vision. That's vision. A visionary is not someone that just sees things like they are or just that he sees things like he wants them to be. A visionary is someone who sees them like he wants them to be and commits himself And gives himself to it and for it. If you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 29. But I will tell you that a case in point in American history about visionaries is that during the Revolutionary War, that war of 1773, 1775 through approximately 1783, many times on a Sunday morning, just like this, the pastor would conduct the services. And when the final amen was said, he would reach over and grab his rifle and he would engage his men and they would leave that service to go fight for freedom, biblical freedom. They had a biblical vision of what this land could be. And that vision served as the impetus, the motivation to commit themselves and their resources and their lives and their action to it. And we're the beneficiaries of it. Now, before I pass this point, it's a civics thing instead of a Bible thing. I want to tell you that during the the war of 1783... Revolutionary War, call it, 1775-1783. There were basically three kind of colonists. And I mention these to you because I can come back later and take part of the and take scripture and tell you that these three types of colonists resembled three types of church members. Now, we're not going to preach on this today. I'm not going to expound it. I'm just going to give it to you. The first type of colonist was the colonist 
They wanted the old ways. They liked being controlled by the old country, by the old things. They, they liked the protection and all. They were willing to put up with the old traditions. They wanted that. The second type of colonists is that they wanted limited freedom. Ah, they wanted the umbrella protection from the old country, but they certainly wanted to do some things here, less taxes, more trade, and what have you. And then there were the third group, which was the largest group, and these were the people who wanted to be free. These are the people who wanted to make their own decisions, wanted the country to be independent. It is these people who gave birth to the United States of America. Thomas Jefferson made this statement, The God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. The hand of force may destroy, but it cannot disjoin them. And it was this kind of vision, this kind of commitment, this kind of action, this kind of integrity of our founding fathers that gave us this great nation. They believed in God and they believed in his word and they staked their very lives and reputation and their wealth and everything they had on it. And many of them lost all they had as they stood in the gap to make a great nation. They were visionaries. They had vision. As we get to Proverbs 29, and I kind of turn our direction with that kind of background, Proverbs 29:18 is, is an interesting verse. Would you bear with me just for a second as I kind of unpack it for you? The old King James says this. Now, we're just taking the first part of the verse. Without vision, the people perish. If I unpack this, a people without vision is like a man without hope, like a people without hope, with no direction. They're headed nowhere. They're doing nothing of consequence. And all they try to do is circle the wagons and protect each other, take care of self. And all too often in a, in a, in a church setting, they wind up hurting each other instead of doing anything significant. I, and this is not a part of the message, but it dawned on me this morning as I was praying through it. You probably heard this. I cannot confirm this. I can't go to the Internet and confirm it, but I've been told it many times. In the wild, the difference in wild horses and wild donkeys are this. If a predator, a group of predators attacks wild horses, the horses will get in a circle and face each other and use those powerful back legs to kick the enemy. Donkeys, on the other hand, when they're attacked, they'll face the enemy and kick each other. And for me, I've always thought, does that make donkeys Baptist? You see, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version. You can move to the English Standard Version, and it says this. If you don't have an English Standard, it's on the screen. Where there is no, listen, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And for me, this translation kind of raises the stakes. Same verse as it speaks of having a divine vision. It gives us a reason for existing. And it tells us that when we lose the sense of God's calling, when we lose the sense of of God's direction, when we lose the sense of God's purpose, we lose our reason for existing. We become our own masters, kind of like that. We become our own masters. 
doing our own thing. But the problem is the manifest presence of God, the manifest power of God, the manifest plan of God is foreign. Then you get to the Christian Standard Version, the version I carry most often, and this is what it says. Without revelation, people run wild. Have you looked at our country lately? Without revelation, when the revelation of God, the divine instruction comes, and it pours out to us from his word that is empowered by his spirit. If we're going to follow his divine instruction, we have to know his divine instruction. And we only grasp this, brothers and sisters, when we spend time in prayer and Bible study. Most of us want this to happen. Most of us want not to run wild. Most of us want inner peace. We want inner joy. We want a blessed life. And that blessed life that most people in this room want to have only comes, only comes from knowing and doing God's will. We can go our own way. We can do our own thing. We can run our own race. We're smart. We're good. We're rich. We can make our own way. But there is something in our lives that will never be filled. The Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? Richest man in the world. And he said, just a little more. That's the insatiability of, of the human soul. I believe that in this room we want God's best. We want God's best for our country, our world, our nation, our culture, our community, our church. And certainly for ourselves. It's what we want. It's our desire. The thing we need to understand is that our inner desire becomes our vision. Our vision is informed by our heart's desire. If I were were to say it better, our vision is informed by our personal God. Now, you can be offended at this, and we can say we believe in God, but the God we say we believe in all too often is not really the God of our life. We have other things that control us, other things that direct us, other things that cause us to speak, other things that that control our schedule, that control our pocketbook, that control our time, that control all our resources. That is our personal God. This is true in school and work and as your hobbies, your sports and life in general and certainly true in the church. Let me just illustrate easily. If I only want to be a good old boy. If I want to be known as a good old boy, then my vision, which is my desire, my goal becomes my God. And I only do those things which cause people to think better of me, and I only do those things which will have me to be known as a good old boy. The five men who framed the Declaration of Independence had the vision and the desire to begin a new nation. 
I want you to think about it. I've never heard this said in any history class. Do you know one of the greatest Christian attributes of this whole process of forming this nation? In my opinion, this is one man's opinion. This is not Bible. This is my opinion. It's the fact that these deep-thinking peoples set up a country, wrote the founding papers in a selfless manner. Can you imagine what the document would look like if the people in Washington today wrote it? You see, these folks wanted us to be a godly nation. So now I get to the crux of what we want to, I want our message to be today. Knowing that they had this desire, this selfless desire to form this nation, they wrote these documents, the easy thing. They fought the fight, which was the hard thing. They lost much. Here's my question for you today. What is your vision, your desire, your goal for this church? I've asked that question many places, and I've gotten some real sad answers. What is it that you want the church to be or become? I've heard things like, well, I don't think we need to become anything or be anything because I like what we are. And I've also heard, why don't we have to change anything? I like what we're doing. Or why do we have to reach new people? I like the size we are. Do you hear all the personal pronouns in those statements? Our our church, I had a pastor tell me, our church is just a place for people to come worship. Well, that's just a preaching point. That's not really a church. Every one of these things, we can have a night where we talk about the things that we want, the things that we feel, why this is not right. I'll be glad to talk with us at length about those things because they're not necessarily bad qualities to have unless they're our goal. Here's what I want to say to you folks. The question is not, we're going to have a vision not a month from today, first Sunday of, uh, of August, and talk about what our vision really is because the pastor can't tell you the vision. We have to grow and find God's vision, and that's my question. Your vision for this church, for this place, is it the same as God's? It was during the Revolutionary War in the, in the Oval Office that an aide looked at President Lincoln and he said, Mr. President, do you think God is on our side? And the President said, Sir, I am not worried about whether God's on our side. I am worried about whether I'm on God's side. So today, thinking about vision, Jesus Christ was the most visionary individual to ever live. And I think it's important for us to see his vision today. So I want to offer you, you've got, the, uh, uh, you got your bulletin if you're a note taker. I want to give you vision, Christ's vision in three dimensions. Now the first thing I want you to do if you're a note taker Click that one time there for me. I want you to erase, line through thee, and put his. And let me just, let me confess to you what I don't have to confess to you. We are in Montana. It's uh, Thursday morning. No, it's Friday morning. 
And I get a text from Beth that says, do you have any notes for the bulletin this month, this week? And we were walking into Cracker Barrel. I grabbed my, my Surface Pro, and I sat at the table while everybody else ate. I wrote my little article that you see there talking about today, and I gave her the outline, so I made a mistake here, okay? You did tell me it was okay for me to make a mistake. Don't smile at me, Steve Bennett. I know you, you, you're the one. All right, here we go. Um, so here's what I want us to see. I want us to see Christ's visions in three, di- three dimensions. The first vision is Christ's vision for his church, his church. Ownership is important. Not my church, not your church, his church. We'll be 150, 149 years old first of next month, 150 years old. We should have always been, we should always be his church first, not mine. So we're trying to discover his vision. Now, is there a a scripture that tells us what his vision is for the church? I didn't think you would ever ask. Matthew 16. Matthew 16 says this. On this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail or not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Now, we'll leave that there just for a second because there are so many actionable words in this verse. I could come here and I could preach two months. Here they are. You go rock, build, church, gates, hell, overpower, keys, kingdom, heaven, bound. They're they're actionable words that that Jesus has for us to hear. But for the sake of time, aren't you glad I'm conscious of time? I'm only going to take two. And, I'll, and if you will listen to me for the next few minutes, it may revolutionize your life about your church. So let's begin with that first word. You can go forward. Thanks, Evan. That first word that we want to talk about is the word church. In the Greek language, it is the word Ecclesia or ecclesia. Well, why does that matter? This does not have to do with how smart I am. Somebody taught this to me. In fact, Tony Evans did a great job of teaching me about this. The ecclesia or the ecclesia. In Jesus' day, that's that's literally the called out ones is what it means. In Jesus' day, the ecclesia were those who were called out from the general population to do some government work. And what they did is they were called out to make, are you listening? Their communities and their culture better. They had the authority to pass laws, rules, and guidelines to make their culture better. Now when the church is referred to as the ecclesia, the called out one, we certainly don't have to pass laws, rules, and guidelines. We already have those Right here. I heard Tony, I read Brother Tony Evans saying this, and the church, the ecclesia today, is called to legislate the agenda of God, to legislate it. And he's not talking about that we legislate it in the form that we adopt rules and laws and guidelines. This is is our call to action. Our call to action. I want you to think about it. 
We think of legislature, legislator, legislation. We think of the legislation. They pass it all. But that's not true. The truth is, is that it's a call to action. Let me give a, for instance, and, uh, and uh, Wanda, you can tell Ken I used his name today, okay? I remember not long ago, since I've been here, is that, of course, I remember this for all my life, that Columbia's always had a bad drainage problem. And I remember that um, Ken and uh, had worked with other leaders, and they had gotten money for Columbia. I remember when they tore up the streets of Maine downtown, and they redid the drainage. And then the first rain came, and Ken was at church, and I said, Hey, Ken, I said, How'd, it looked like it worked out well. And he said, Brother Jerry, it's our first days, but boy, it was a good thing when we got it done. You see, he had helped move to action things that needed to be done to make the community better. If you want your, if you want your state better, you, what do you do? You call your legislator because they're the ones that can move it to action. Well, listen to us. Listen to this today. God has called us to move to action to make our community better. And it is only better when we're given to Christ Jesus, which brings us to the second word. And the second word is kingdom. He'll give us the keys to the kingdom. You see, the truth is, we are to legislate the kingdom agenda in, in our world. We are to, to move it to action. Christ's vision is that the church, in all she does, the church, in all she does, bring the kingdom agenda to bear. It's our focus. And when we're moving it forward like this, you remember what the scripture says? Then we will be empowered by the Spirit, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Our culture, our society, is not changing for the good. Do you know that? We see the truth of God being replaced with the lies of mankind. Why? I'm about to be offensive and I don't want to be. I love you with all my heart. Why? Because we have settled for a focus of building budgets and programs rather than accessing the power of God and finding the authority of heaven in the manifest presence of His Holy Spirit. The authority of the kingdom only comes when our total focus is on the kingdom agenda. If we don't have, if we do anything, if we do anything that does not have a kingdom focus, we do it in our own strength. Christ's vision for us as his church is to access his power with the purpose of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anything we do must be focused on advancing the kingdom. Anything less, and we have forsaken Christ's vision for the church. Since I'm being offensive, did you know this world can do without a local church? 
I know this because I watched it. Local churches come and go. But without the kingdom, the world has no hope. I'll go so far as to say this to you. In the halls of heaven, the local church, the local body that does not advance the kingdom, in the halls of heaven, they're expendable. I have watched church after church who chose to do things in their own way, have their own culture, have their own agenda. Churches you would have never thought closing their doors. One church in St. Louis put a sign on the door. Mission closed. We forgot what our mission was. Christ's vision for the church is to move the kingdom forward. That's why we do upper room. That's why we send people to Montana. Or it doesn't just have to be Montana. It could be Malaysia. It could be Honduras. It can be Brazil. It can be Maine. It can be Maryland. That's why... Are you listening? That's why we should be missionaries in Mississippi. Do you realize that there's not a county in Mississippi, Marion County included, that has over 50% of the people going to anybody's church? That tells me that more than 50% of people will not see the gates of heaven. Because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That tells me that we're really not getting the job done. It's Christ's vision for his church. And if you're a part of his church, it's you. May may I just say this? You don't want to attract people to Jesus. You don't want to attract people to Jesus. Please listen. The joy of the Lord. If we think that we're going to sourpuss them and intimidate them into trusting Christ, we have lost our minds. The truth is, if Jesus hadn't put a joy in your heart, then you probably got nothing to share. Am I right, Brent? How are you between you and the Lord? It really makes a difference to people out there what they see of the people in here. Sometimes, I've said this before, sometimes the reason people don't want to be inside and they remain out there is because they have been inside and they didn't like what they saw, so they went out there. They can find the same things out there that they can find in here unless we're advancing the kingdom, unless we're accessing the power, unless we have the answers to life. Hello? You see, this is, this is not just get together and have a good time, although I love that. I love that about the creek. I love us about our family connections. I love us about, about our, our gatherings. But listen, we have a larger calling. Just like those five men who wrote the Declaration of Independence had a larger calling than themselves, our calling comes from him on high. Christ's vision for his church. We're his church. The second thing I would offer you is Christ's vision for people. 
There's so many ways to talk about this. And y'all know I'm blessed with the gift of gab. We could be here the rest of the day. I'm going to, I want to simplify this for us in two opposite and yet simplistic thoughts. The first vision for people is that our Lord Jesus has the vision for all people to go to heaven. All people. Did y'all hear that? All people. And some people argue this point. They say, no, that's not right. But I want to say this to you. When the Bible says something once, you ought to read it and believe it. But when it says something twice, you better embrace it. Put that back up there if you will. Evan, thank you. The Lord, Peter writes it this way, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. But watch this. Is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, he wants everyone to be saved. And then Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants, there's that big word, everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We'll just leave there there just for a second, because folks, this is his desire. People, mankind, his crown creation. He remembers the day that he created them perfect. He remembers the day that they disobeyed him. And he remembers when he kicked them out of, out of the garden and the separation it caused. He remembers how in his love, are you listening? In his love, he immediately made a way to restore his crown creation back to himself. His love drives him to reach us. Watch this. Let's turn, turn it a page. Look at what all the Bible says. It begins with, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But that's not all. Then it says that God proves, he shows, he demonstrates his love for us. And then it says, And And then it says in 1 John, it says, God's love was revealed to us in this way. He sent his son. And in Galatians, it tells us that at just the right time, God sent Jesus. But the granddaddy of them all that tells us that he wants nobody to go to heaven says that God that said that Christ died. He suffered and died. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Now do you see all of these verses? He wants nobody to die. He suffered and died. It's as if he Somebody said, how much do you love us? And he spread his arms, and he said, this much. And he bowed his head, and he died. He wants everyone to be saved. But the, but the contrary, the, 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 
opposite's true. He then he wants no one to go to hell. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. In his love, Christ envisions everyone being restored to the Father. But at the same time, he knows it's not going to happen. He wants everyone to be saved, but he knows it's not going to happen. In fact, my first message here in December of 19 was on Matthew 7. I'll just give you three quick. You'll probably hear this in a message down the road. This is what Matthew 7 tells us. Not everyone's going to be saved. More people are going to be lost than are going to be saved. And the third one just shudders me to my soul. Are you listening? Many people expecting to be saved are going to be lost. Somebody said one time I was narrow-minded. I only thought Baptists were going to heaven. And I recounted and I said, I'm more narrow-minded than that. I don't think all Baptists are going to make it. You see, the truth is, is that the reason people go to hell is because of this thing called sin. Sin. And the only way, only way, I want to say this again, the only way to get into heaven is to have your sin forgiven. And the only way to do that is, is faith in the Christ, Christ of the cross. It's the only way you'll ever be released. It's the only way you'll be forgiven. It's the only way you'll find peace and hope. Now here's what I ask you folks. When Jesus comes in and releases you from the prison of sin, how can you remain ungrateful? How come how can our demeanor not change? How can our way of thinking not change? If any man's in Christ, he's transformed. He's a new creation. He's reformed. Old things are passed away. And then he's conformed in the image of Jesus. All things become new. There is no other way. Christ's vision for people is to be saved. But I want to end with making this personal. Christ's vision for you. For you. For you. Christ's vision for you, simply stated, is to get it right and be in the family of God and live eternally in heaven. Would you allow me to have your attention just for the few minutes that remains? Because many people are getting it wrong. Just because you're sitting here at an 8 o'clock service on a Sunday doesn't guarantee you a ticket into heaven. Just because you're a member of this church doesn't guarantee you a ticket in heaven. Because you've walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and been baptized, because you've taught Sunday school, been a deacon, been a preacher, a music director, just because of what you've done like that does not guarantee you a ticket into heaven. 
Now, people will go back. I have had family after family, not here, family after family to say over these 40 years, but he prayed a prayer. It's true that normally our faith, crossing the bridge of faith involves a prayer, but if that's all you have, you have nothing. Jesus' call is more than just praying a prayer. Watch this. He gives you the same prayer that he gave to the fisherman, to the tax collector, to the three men in Luke 9. Follow me. Follow me. If we follow him, we keep him in our eyesight. Follow me does not mean to think you get saved and to sit down and never do anything for him. Jesus never did that. Follow me. Don't forsake. So now, let me get in our faces just a little bit. Follow. Don't forsake our getting together. That's what Hebrews tells us. We forsake getting together when the only time we're together is when it's convenient for us. I've been here, I'm starting my 10th month today. As much as I love you, if I didn't tell you the truth, one day when you get into eternity, you're going to go, Brother Jerry, why didn't you just open your mouth and say it? You you opened your mouth about so many things, why didn't you tell us? And here's what I want to say to you. Gathering for worship should be your fill-up. Not your optional stop every week. It shouldn't be something you can do when you have nothing else to do. It should be a priority getting together. Follow. Don't forsake growing. We're getting ready to launch and put out a way for us to really become his disciples. Don't forsake that. Don't forsake your giving. And when I say giving, everybody reaches for their pocketbook. Well, certainly it's money. But, folks, uh, I'm so encouraged here. We do such a good job. Don't quit. Keep giving. It'll let us expand and do what we need to do to reach our community, the money side of it. But there's more than you can give besides your money. We're going to have needs with the exit of, with the exit of uh, uh, Hannah and Evan that's going to fill a big hole. We're going to have some needs there. We need bodies. We need people. We need people to step up for IT. We need, we're getting ready for a homecoming. And Brother Eric and I are talking about putting a choir in the choir loft. It's going to be a different type of day. We're going to need you here. Don't get offended. We don't need you at the beach that day. We don't need you in the mountains that day. We need you here that day. Don't forsake. Follow. Don't forsake your faith. It matters what other people think. You see, Christ's vision for you is better than the vision that you have for you. Don't forsake it. Follow it. I began this message with these words. A visionary is someone who doesn't just simply see things like they are. He doesn't just simply see things like he wants them to be. He sees them, and he's committed enough to them to give himself for it. Our Lord Jesus Christ 
even more so than those five visionaries, has proven himself a visionary. He cared enough for you and me to give his life. He gave himself for you. I ask you today, will you give yourself back to him? Let's pray together.